Welcome to the Rays Tales podcast presented by the Tampa Bay Times. Beat writer Mark Topkin will be with you next. And thank you for listening to our fourth episode of the Rays Tales podcast presented by the Tampa Bay Times. This is Mark Topkin, the longtime beat writer for the Times and TampaBay.com. And it's been an interesting start to the season for the Rays. They've been hovering around 500 despite a slew of injuries that have affected pretty much all parts of their lineup. We've seen them with some several comeback wins that have been impressive. We've seen them make some mistakes that have cost them. We've seen them waste some opportunities. But it's certainly been interesting uh, to this point. They've also gotten creative, as we saw Tuesday night in Baltimore, when they scratched starter Erasmo Ramirez about 20 minutes before game time and ended up using five relievers. They thought it was going to rain. It didn't. But went ahead and beat the Orioles anyway. Certainly a win that'll be talked about for a while, how they did it. There's been a lot going on, a lot to come with some players coming off the DL in the next few days. And we've got an interesting podcast for you today. We've got three guests lined up. We'll talk first with Matt Duffy, one of those injured players whom the Rays hope to get back sometime in May, about how tough it's been for him to be sitting out and having to watch the games every night, what that's like. And also, his favorite podcast. He's actually quite a podcast fan. Hopefully, he'll join uh, you in listening to the Ray's Tales podcast. But he shares some interesting tips for you if you're into the podcast scene. Next, we'll talk with Chad Matola, who took over as hitting coach at the end of last season, now in his first full season, obviously. He'll share with you his philosophies. We'll talk a little bit about his playing career, including the season he spent as teammates with Kevin Cash in the Blue Jays minor league system. And also, what makes for a good day for a hitting coach. And then finally, we'll catch up with Todd Callis, the longtime face of the Rays TV broadcasts, who made it back to the TROP last week for the first time in his new role as the Astros play-by-play announcer. Let's start first with Matt Duffy and talking about what it's like to be on the DL and how he handles that situation and what he hopes to see happen in the near future. And also, as I said, his favorite podcasts. You know... I think first and foremost, anybody in this room, when they're watching, it's frustrating first because you want to be out there. Um, that's the reason we're here is to be out there competing. That's what we love to do. Um, that being said, I think you know you can learn a lot from watching. You can learn a lot about uh, your teammates. You can learn a lot about um, opposing pitchers, um, different tendencies that guys have, um, opposing hitters. So um, you can learn a lot from just by watching. Um, I've also said a few times I, I don't have ADD or anything like that, but if you want to feel like you have ADD, go on the DL. Um, you know, walking back and forth, just like looking for stuff to do. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's no place that anybody wants to be is on the DL, but um, I think you have to try to either learn something new every day or do something, one thing, to help a team win a game still. Because um, if you can pick up something, you know, that another team's doing, um, maybe that's the difference in a game. You never know. Um, most of the time that's not. But you still got to, you know, do what you can to help a team win a game, whether it's just being a, a positive um, kind of energy in the clubhouse or in the dugout, whatever it is. Um, but I think the biggest thing is staying positive because um, nobody likes to be on the DL again. But... Um, other people can pick up on a vibe, um, you know, if you're uh, depressed and, you know, sad about it. Um, nobody's really going to feel sorry for you, but they are going to pick up on that 
lower energy and it's, it can spread. So, um, you know, you just try to stay positive and um, stay with the guys. And if you can, learn something. If not, do something to help them out. Has there been something that's come up where you've, you've picked up on a, a pitcher's tendency or a move or a um, sign or just, you know, picked up on a strategy? Uh, not off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. It's kind of more my own observations. I don't like to, I don't know, some guys don't like to think about They have their own things that they think about, whether it's in the box or whatever. And, um, you know, guys are swinging it pretty well, then I don't like to mess with them too much or give them something but if somebody's struggling I might say something but um, yeah you know for the most part I kind of just watch from my own uh, point of view plus I haven't been around the guys all that long yet I mean I know I was here a little briefly last year but still you know you like to try to get to know guys before you start throwing things at them and I think that's something that Chad Matola's done really well is um, you know he took time coming in here to get to know guys first before he was like Hi, I'm Chad. This is what you need to change. This is what you need to do. Um, so I'm still in that process, and um, I think there's still needs to be a lot of trust to be gained um, between myself and my teammates. And that's something that happens over a course of time, and it happens a lot faster when you're in the trenches with them, which I'm not right now, unfortunately. So um, I'm just kind of trying to observe and um, pick up what I can. And if I see something glaring, maybe I'll mention it. Uh, but for the most part, I think we're playing okay. Um, you know, I, I think all of us think we could be playing better baseball overall, but um, I think the good news is we're not playing our best baseball and we're still in the thick of things. So that's, um, I think for me anyway, that's a positive takeaway. I know the last road trip was, was a difficult one, but um, again, I said it to a few people like, hey, you know, I know we all think that we really played terribly, but the good news was we were one hit or one play or one ball dropping away and eat in many of those games from winning the road trip so um, I think that's a positive we're playing bad baseball against good teams and still competing so um, yeah you know a couple tweaks here and there and um, we could be well on our way. What are uh, some of the, the similarities or some of the differences between the Giants and the Rays I mean I, obviously you haven't been around the Rays a long time yet but enough probably to pick up on a little bit of that. Um, I don't like to think too much backwards um, I think um, you know there's a lot of similarities anybody at this level is has the work ethic and the drive um, you know something that I thought uh, was done really well over there was just the overall level of focus was, was very intense um, and uh, not, not saying that it's not here um, but you know when you're talking about um, the one percent of the talent in the world at this level, you know, 0.2% more focus is the difference between, you know, the the best and the middle of the pack. Um, and again, all these guys at this level um, are very elite athletes, elite thinkers, elite, um, you know, hand-eye coordination, whatever it is. Um, that's why we're here. Um, and then, again, I, I think we're, we're pretty close. I, I really like where the team's at. Um, like I said, um, we haven't played our best baseball, and we're sitting right at 500 in battles and in games against good teams. I mean, you saw last night. We were ahead most of the game. We gave it away. But um, I think maybe just a tick more focus, and we've, we take half of those games, and we're you know, well into a winning record. Um, again, I don't like to look back too much. I like to focus on what we have here, and um, like I said, I'm I'm happy with what we got.
Very good. Um, and let's ask you, you've mentioned before you like listening to podcasts, which I'm sure the Race Tales podcast will now be high on your list. But what, what are some of the podcasts you like listening to, and, and when do you find it most you know enjoyable to do so? Um, I live up in Tampa, um, so I've got about a 30-minute ride every day. So that's kind of my time to listen to podcasts and kind of veg out. I really enjoy driving. Um, podcast is one of those reasons. Um, but it's one of the few times where you don't really have much distraction. You just kind of chill and just think about the road. Um, but I like I like crime podcasts. Um, Serial was the one that really got me going on podcasts the first season. Um, with Adnan Sayed, I think is his name. Um, and then uh, Evan and I kind of bounce podcasts off each other back and forth. Uh, crime Town is one that I'm in right now. It's about um, the... Uh, part a section of the New England mob, um, specifically in Providence, uh, Rhode Island, and it's it's just interesting. Some of the things that are in that podcast are like, oh, this is like a mob movie, you know, like, oh man. So it's, it's crazy to hear about stuff like that that happened in real life back in the 70s, 60s and 70s. Um, so stuff like that. I really like uh, stuff like that. One, one that I really enjoy also is Jocko podcast, which is um, you know, he talks about a lot about, he's an ex-Navy SEAL, talks about a lot about, you know, leadership strategies and different things like that, how to deal with people. Um, and it just kind of depends on whatever mood I'm in. Um, but I really enjoy the crime stuff, I think. You see yourself ever one day having uh, the Matt Duffy podcast? I don't know. I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't know if I have enough interesting things to talk about, though, for people to listen to it. <laughs> Actually, I think there would be a lot of people who would enjoy listening to a Matt Duffy podcast. He is one of the more thoughtful and interesting players to speak with in the Rays clubhouse, having come up through Long Beach State and then playing for the Giants before being acquired by the Rays in August. Next up is our conversation with hitting coach Chad Matola. Uh, Drafted highly, actually ahead of Derek Jeter coming out of UCF. Spent most of his playing career in the minor leagues, then became a hitting coach, has had a big league job with the Toronto Blue Jays, and then joined the Rays on the minor league side in 2014, and then was promoted to take over as their major league hitting coach uh, last September, now in his full season. Here is our conversation talking about first his philosophies, his playing career, and what it takes to make a good day for a good day for a hitting coach. A lot of the players have uh, referred to your style and, and that you're a very uh, positive approach and, and willing to do a lot of things. I mean, how did you kind of form your style as a hitting coach? Well, I just remember how evil this game be, can be at times and how hard it is, even when times are good. And I guess my career dictated to have some sympathy for the guys when they're struggling, knowing the work they put in, knowing that their end goal is to get better. So despite some failure, we're all trying to get better. So it's never criticism, it's how are we going to get over these obstacles. How, how do you go about molding to all the different players? I mean, so many guys that have different styles, different triggers, different routines, different drills. Communication. I mean, it's one of those things, I, I look at video, but it's not absolute for me. It's just to present questions. So the first month or so is more questions. And when I was raised in this game, questions were asked to kind of critique you, where my questions are to hear you explain what you're doing. So it's a cheap way for me to learn your language, understand what drills you're doing and why you're doing them, and then have suggestions, not 
the way it has to be this way, it has to be that way, I, I consider myself more suggestions, give it a try, and it gives us both feedback. Would you say that patience is a virtue in your position? I just think more understanding. I think everybody plays this game for success. Everybody has different reasons for those success. But understanding that, that when a guy fails, swings with a slider in the dirt, we didn't work for three hours for that consequence to happen. So more of why is this happening? How can we get this to happen less times? Not never again, just reduce the failure. That's the whole goal. Has there been anything uh, unique about coming to the Rays, maybe that you do differently here, either in, in their um, administration or under Kevin, or just that you do differently from when you were a hitting coach the first time in Toronto? Absolutely. I mean, I targeted the Rays as a place to go to because I know we have to do things outside the box. We have to be creative to compete with some of the payrolls. So it was a goal to come here for sure because then you're allowed to have the freedom to do those things, and they're actually encouraged here. Going back to your playing career, Chad, and, and I know you get uh, people kind of point to the novelty of being drafted ahead of Derek Jeter, but you, you spent a really long time in the minors, and you didn't get a lot of opportunity in the big leagues. How did you kind of drive yourself through that long career, and, and what was your you know, success-failure uh, ratio, I guess, in your own mind? Well, I got my opportunity a little too early. If you told me that at the time when I was 24, I thought I had all the answers. And I deal with the young kids the same way, knowing that that's the mentality I have. And I don't want to strip them of that. I want them to keep that cockiness, keep that approach that they do have all the answers, but yet teach them some things along the way at the speed that will work for them. Sometimes they're just not ready, and that's okay. So you don't want the message to be diluted by the timing of it. So it's one of those things that I got better towards the end, but in this game you get labeled. And then you have to wait for injuries or you have to wait for the right team to approach you and a lot of things out of your control. So I remind players that all the time, that you only have so many opportunities. So despite this being a little tough right now, you never want to get labeled in this game because then when you do figure it out, sometimes it's too late. Interesting point. And, and along your career, you actually played with Kevin Cash as teammates and, and not maybe getting into all the good stuff, but what was it like when you played with Kevin as, as teammates and obviously a relationship you guys were able to maintain for a long time? Yeah, I mean, when I, he was younger with the Blue Jays and I was older, but we were in the same part of the locker room, kind of. He was the young prospect and I was the suspect in the back end. So I was around a group of young guys and it wasn't necessarily seeking him out personally. It was just sharing knowledge and trying to help them along the way and he happened to be one of the guys. And it, how has that relationship helped you work with him now? Or does it? I think he knows that I'm genuine, no matter what. The, the goal is to help the player. The goal sometimes in this business of baseball gets a little clouded at times when the business end gets involved and things you have to do that's just dictated by the, that side of the game. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be genuine. And one other question people ask me a lot is, as a hitting coach, how much of the job is strategy and, and physically helping a player doing drills or suggestions, and how much is, is being kind of an uh, unofficial psychologist, psychiatrist, kind of helping them with the mental aspect? I think that percentage goes up every year for me. I, I like to think it's a lot of mechanical things, but at the end of the day, you have to make sure he's got a clear mind, and when the ball is coming in 100 miles per hour as much as it is now, mentally he's got to be a lot more sound than physically. So each year the percentage go up, but I mean it's 75% at least mentally when that ball drops in or an infield hit and all of a sudden they start hitting the ball everywhere. It's been proven year after year. And just one last question for you. What makes a good day for a hitting coach? 
When, when is it a good day when you're sitting back after the game? I mean, when you see him smile, when you see the guy take a deep breath and just like, okay. And it's a daily thing. It's day-to-day -day in this game, but just a lot of times in the work doesn't show up in the game immediately. So when you have a good day of work and you're going the right direction and despite some failures, the guy can pull away and sleep a little sounder at night. There's been plenty of restless nights that I had. So I gauged their sleep of going, okay, at least you can sleep better tonight. Some very interesting thoughts and comments there from Chad Matola on what it's like to be a major league hitting coach. Finally, on this episode of the Rays Tales podcast, our chat with Todd Callis, member of the Rays TV broadcast crew since the team started, left after last season to live out his longtime dream and be a major league play-by-play -play man joining the Astros broadcast crew. Somewhat of a family tradition for Todd is his father, Harry Callis, the legendary longtime broadcaster with the Philadelphia Phillies. Our talk with Todd started with what it was like to walk back in to Tropicana Field. Really exciting. It almost felt like it was a second opening day for me because uh, I hadn't seen all these people that I lived with and grew up with and spent our summers with the last 19 seasons. So it was a lot, a lot of great emotions, uh, a lot of happiness to see everybody, not just the guys in uniform, but the guys that work and the girls that work around the stadium. Um, it meant a lot to me. I always wanted, uh, I couldn't wait for the series. It was one of those that I circled as soon as I became an Astro. And um, I'm happy it happened earlier than later, so it wasn't that long in between. And uh, the Rays did a nice tribute video for you, of course. What was it like? You know, you're, you've been the person filming and interviewing people to see yourself as the subject of that. Yeah, that was a little different. It's kind of cool. I mean, you don't get that to happen very often in your career unless something like this happens where you make a change after 19 years. That was really uh, cool, touching. Um, it was a nice moment. I was, you know, so appreciative of what the fans were like here and how much they supported me. And um, for the Rays production staff to put on uh, a special like that and for the guys in our truck that we work with to put that together was really cool. Uh, very nice and it, it seemed like a, a very well received uh, a moment. There are so many things you saw I and mean, I've been here, <laughs> you've been here from the start of this Rays franchise and, and you know, not to put you too much on the spot but your favorite couple, two or three memories uh, over the years of, of what happened on the field or, or you know, even during a broadcast or anything like that? Yeah, in terms of on the field, it's hard to get away from both the World Series season and especially Game 7 against the Red Sox. I don't know if there will be a, a better moment of baseball for me just because not only what the Rays accomplished coming from nowhere to make the World Series, but because the Phillies had already qualified as the other team in the World Series, and I knew it was a chance to have a World Series with Dad, and so that ended up... Uh, being incredible to have to, to get to share the 2008 World Series. Uh, game 162, uh, who will ever forget that? That was th maybe the craziest day of baseball I've ever seen, and to be right in the trenches of it was pretty cool. Uh, and then the other moments, you know, like Wade's uh, Wade's uh, 3,000th mm -hmm. hit, the home run, and um, just really cool memories of, of the run of five years out of six where they won 90 games and four playoff teams. Um, in terms of our broadcast, I think the thing that I remember most, it's easy to do what we do when the team's doing well. I thought those first 10 years though, um, establishing a fan base when the team was really lousy. I, I know Dwayne and Joe McGrain and, and I talked about that a lot, but we uh, we had a lot of good times during that stretch. And fortunately we, I think, established a pretty good um, broadcast team during a really tough time. So I think that's 
of all the years in terms of what we did on the year, that's to me the, the, the one that stands out. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point and, and obviously the stability in the broadcast team until you left, you know, for this season and Dwayne having been here the whole time. I mean, what do you what do you think of the job that Dwayne has done in his longevity? <laughs> Amazing. I mean, he brings it every day. To me, he's like that guy who every day gets a base hit and then at the end of the year you look up and you're like, wow, he's hitting 300 again. I mean, it's just one of those guys that just always brings it. Uh, Dwayne has been, you know, he's not old enough to be a father figure, but he's kind of like been an older brother to me or um, in terms of just watching how he does his thing and how consistent he is on a day-in, day-out basis. And we still uh, hang out a little bit in the offseason. He and my and my fiancé and his wife uh, have done a lot of things in the offseason. So he was also instrumental in helping me uh, get to Houston, too. He knew team president Reed Ryan. He knew a couple people over there and uh, didn't hurt when Dwayne uh, gives you uh, the recommendation for the Houston Astros job. Yeah, I would think a call from Dwayne's staff would be a good thing to have. What uh, And just finally, Todd, I mean, you, uh, as great of a job as you did over the years, I think many of us who were lucky enough to be friends with you knew that you hoped for the chance at some point to get a play-by-play job and have that opportunity. I know it's early in the season. Uh, obviously, there's a tremendous family legacy involved here as well. But what, what has this opportunity been like for you, and, and what do you find most uh, appealing about it? it was, it's been really cool. I mean, the fact that they're a good team is certainly a bonus, and they're 12-5 and five start right now. And um, there should be in contention all the way through. I'd be surprised if they're not in the mix or winning the AL West at the end of the year. For me, it was a lot of years where I really wasn't sure if I ever wanted to leave Tampa Bay. And it, had, it needed to be a, a nearly perfect situation. This was a great opportunity. I was born in Houston, coming back to Houston, and uh, it couldn't have played out any better. Well, great. Everybody was happy to see you, and I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. And uh, we'll see you in Houston at some point later this year. End of July, early August. We'll look forward to seeing you then, Mark. Always great to talk to you, buddy. Thanks, Todd. I'll see if you're wearing boots by then. <laughs> no boots yet. And that is the fourth episode of our Rays Tales podcast. We thank you for listening. We will be back with another episode next week. We'll try to do a little bit better next time. The Rays head off to Toronto for the weekend and then Miami for some interleague play, which is always interesting. Once again, thanks for listening. This is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com. It's done. It's done. It's done. Thanks for listening to the Tampa Bay Times Rays Tales podcast with beat writer Mark Topkin. He'll be back with more next week. Until then, check the Heater blog on tampabay.com for Rays updates.